All right, man. Hey, Sean, thanks for being willing to have this conversation. Now, thanks for inviting me to have it, man. I, I'm looking forward to picking up where we left off the other day. I was trying to figure out how to position my arms so that my the the perspective would look as muscular as yours, but it, it's just not gonna it's not gonna happen. These skinny little things, I can't even get the right angle on them. <laughs> hey, hashtag hashtag fame strength. Shout out to Josh Josh Mason and the Fame Strength Group. Fame strength. All right. Well, I have to remember that after I get the motivation to go work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, so Sean, we have been friends for eight years now, dude. Is it is it that long? I mean, I've, been, let me put it this way: I've been friends with you for eight years. I don't know if you've been friends with me for eight years. Yeah, I would consider us to be absolutely, man. I would consider us to be uh, friends. I just can't believe it's that long, to be honest with you. I know, I know. I got two kids now. You're, uh, I, you don't have, a, you don't have a ton of gray hair yet, right? Oh well, no, it's uh well no. There's a you know, listen. You passed her long enough, dude. You're gonna have tons of gray hair, and and if you think for a second about being in the politics, you're gonna get even more. And that's on top of just being a father and a father of three knuckleheads and a husband of one wonderful, lovely, awesome wife. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's something that will uh will be really interesting to talk about too, like your role. And you can share more about your story, and I want you to. But, like, you know, your role not only as a pastor, but also your role as a politician, too. And you, you have – you live in both of those worlds and, and as a father and a, and a husband. So, uh, yeah, we met eight years ago, and we've been friends for a while now. And, uh, man, I'm just so, so thankful that we've been able to sharpen each other through the years, that we've been able to help each other become better men and uh and encourage each other i feel like that honestly for me i feel like the last eight years with you to me one of the words that stands out is just mutual encouragement you know like just being there for each other and through hard times through times when we've struggled with different things in our lives uh we've just been there to try to pick each other up and encourage each other to keep moving forward so it, you mean a lot yeah. yeah dude. there's definitely some challenges along the way i can remember specifically you know uh, me venting to you a couple of times about the difference between pastoring and preaching and kind of my feelings on, on, on how I was performing and run one role versus the other. Uh, I can remember trying to encourage you when uh, you uh, had the whole God uh, love sex movement. Uh, and, and that was like your first foray into, into some real big challenge. You know, you, you got hit hard during that time. And I remember feeling a little bit badly for you because it was new, you know, and it's tough when you spend most of your life being liked and then all of a sudden you're not, even if it's only by a fraction of the people. Sometimes those negative voices uh, impact you more than uh, the positive voices in your life. But yeah, I can remember, I remember some very specific situations, dude, that we have kind of navigated the waters through together. And then, uh, yeah, for a while there, you were my you were my backup guy when I took Sundays off at First Baptist, and you even wore a tie one time. I remember that. I did. Uh, I remember you wearing a tie. I thought, whoa, whoa, wow. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to convert him yet. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then we were your baptismal pool for a while, if you remember. A very, very cold baptismal pool that was like. I don't even know how cold. I mean, that was like if hell. If it hell, was ice cold. Like it was stop your. It was stop your heart cold. Yes, it was. It was <laughs> Jesus suffered, so you must suffer cold. That is that is what I used to call it. The Lord suffered in His death, burial, and resurrection, and you shall suffer as well. So yeah, it was the anti-hell baptismal pool in two different ways. <laughs> it was cold. Oh, it was very cold. But, yeah, so we've been through it, man. Eight years. Eight years uh, is a long, long time. And, um, you know, you're not going anywhere. Tim's certainly not going anywhere. And I don't have any plans on getting out of here. So hopefully we get, you know, eight and 16 and 24 more. Yeah. Oh, I hope so too, man. Well, hey, before we jump into it, how about you kick us off with some prayer? Sure. Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, in uh, the name of Jesus Christ, we do, first of all, come to say thank you for another day that you have blessed 
us with Father God and ordained it so that we would be in this world, living this life in this way. Uh, our prayer, Father God, is to always give you thanksgiving first, no matter the situations, the circumstances of life that we find ourselves in. We thank you first and foremost for the gift that you have given us that is life in and of itself. And then we thank you, Father God, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that provided us a way to salvation, Father. And we thank you for the faith that we uh, have in him, how imperfect it may be. We thank you for it. Uh, and that divine persuasion that you have given to each and every one of us, Father God, to believe in you and in your word. And then, Father, we pray that you would give us the humility to understand the ways that we fall short, Father God, and then the strength to learn how to do better and be better, Father God, as the days continue, especially in times like these, Father God, where leadership is so necessary and godly leadership is absolutely necessary. I pray that your light would continue to shine in our hearts that are hearts might shine out into the world and that you ultimately would get the glory uh, as your will is being done in and through all of our lives as believers. And so I pray today, Father God, that you would accept this thanksgiving and this gratitude and then that you would open up, Father God, the lines of communication right now and that this, Father God, conversation would be a blessing not only to Dan and myself who are participating in it, but Father God, for everyone who might watch and be uh, and have their eyes open and their ears open to uh, see and learn maybe something new or at least from a different perspective. But ultimately, God, our goal and our plan and our hope is that you would get the glory from everything and anything that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Awesome, man. So, yeah, if you could just kick it off with your story, how you came to faith in Christ and just uh, how you got to where you are now. Yeah, so. Uh, I was one of those dudes who grew up in church. You know, uh, I grew up in Mount Zion Baptist Church at 105 Hill Street. Uh, at that time, it, it was a, uh, uh, you know, one of two black churches in our city, really, uh, Mount Zion and Bethel uh, AME that used to be on South Franklin Street, uh, no longer there. But uh, those are the two black churches, really. And I, I grew up what I would call or say in the black church. It, it was like my mom was white. She was there and there wasn't many others. Um, but uh, I grew up in that church and in that tradition and just fell in love with church at an early age. I liked uh, I didn't really like I liked church uh, and I liked learning uh, uh, about God. And I loved learning about the Lord when I was young and then somewhere around age 12, man, I just got a super thirst for the actual word of God for the Bible. Mm. So it wasn't so much about attending church uh, and going to see my father sing because that choir was super strong and powerful. Um, you know, uh, but I got to, I started to learn. I started to crave the word. And uh, uh, ultimately one Sunday morning, every Sunday they would give the invitation to uh, discipleship, uh, the call to Christ. And I remember sitting there in that pew, like Sunday after Sunday, like today's the Sunday, but I was afraid. Okay, today, but I was afraid. Okay, today, but I was afraid. And then one day I just came downstairs. I was convicted in my heart. I came downstairs and I told my father, I said, dad, I think I'm ready to get baptized. I want to join the church. And he said, oh, okay, well, explain why, why? And I said, I just feel like I'm ready to have Jesus Christ live in my heart forever. And at age 12, I articulated those words. And he said, well, that's, that's good enough for me. And uh, that Sunday, I got the courage uh, to grab my cousin Donald Gary by the hand, say, we're going to go do this thing together. And uh, we walked up to the front of the church that day, uh, uh, gave our lives to Christ publicly. And uh, on Good Friday, 1988, I was baptized. And uh, I'll never forget that moment, man. I went into that water, and I didn't tell anybody this for probably a decade, but I went into that water, and while I was under there, you know it's only a second or two, but it felt like an eternity. And I saw this, I, I can't even call it light, because it wasn't like a, a, a light that I've ever seen before. I was just blanketed by this, the, like this pure white light. Is that's the best description I could come up with? And then somehow I started to see like the water falling off of my face, like beads, like, like you ever see like a car that was newly waxed and the water just rolled. 
And I, I saw that image and then I was out of the water. Uh, and I didn't tell anybody about it for almost, I thought people would think I was crazy. Uh, but that was my experience, man, coming into salvation. And it just dove into uh, uh, Sunday school and I was already involved in the choir and so on and so on and so forth. And just grew up in that church um, for most of my life, uh, teenage life, until uh, some circumstances arose. And, oops, some circumstances arose, and we ended up as a family leaving that church. And uh, I drifted, I drifted, I drifted, and I came into a situation where I was suffering from severe depression and anxiety. I had done some things that were outside of the will of God, and it was a difficult time in my life. But it was that time that pushed me back into the church. I left it for about four years and uh, pushed me back into the church. And when I came back into the church, for some reason, man, everything was different. It wasn't about the music anymore. It wasn't about how good the choir sounded anymore. It wasn't about how many people were in the congregation. It wasn't about the hoop and the holler of the preacher. It was about the word. And the word started to build these little blocks of foundation. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, just these blocks of, of, of God's word that were building in my life. And it impacted me for the first time, really, uh, not just a feel good in my soul, but it started to impact the way that I thought and the way that I lived my life. And over a couple year period of time, I felt this overwhelming urge and call to preach and teach and share the gospel in any way that I could. And then ultimately, uh, we were doing the seven last words at our church. And I was one of the speakers for that night. And I remember saying to God, you know, if you've really called me to do this, please show me through this experience that I can do it. And uh, that night, man, something changed in my, in, in, in my heart. And I felt I felt this preaching anointing that I didn't know what it was at the time, but I felt it and I knew that that was what I was ultimately born to do. And uh, the rest is history. Haven't stopped since. Wow. Awesome. And so you have both pastored and continue to pastor and you also uh, are involved in politics too. So tell us a little bit more about both of those worlds that God's called you to. Yeah, so you know, I've my my I love to coach people. I love to help people. Like that's really all I want to do. And you know, I, obviously, we get a huge opportunity to do that in the ministry. Even in my professional career as a salesperson, I had opportunity to do that as a sales leader and even a, a sales mentor. So I would coach people all the time, try to teach them things help educate them, open their eyes. But, but mostly all I wanted them to do was be happy. And I wanted them to be better at what they were trying to do in order to live the life, whether it's you know personally or professionally that they wanted to live. And I thought at a certain point in time that I would be able to uh, do that through politics uh, because I thought the platform was bigger and there was more people to help. Uh, and these people in particular were the youth of our, our society. And uh, I wanted to make absolutely sure that uh, they had the best people in front of them at all times, teaching them and educating them. And so there was an opportunity uh, when someone resigned from the Wilkes-Barre School Board to uh, be an appointee. Uh, so not run for office, but kind of fill in for them until their term was up. And it was a seven month term. So I thought I was just gonna go in there for seven months, accomplish the two goals that I wanted to accomplish, which was uh, uh, build up a, a basically an anti-nepotism policy and then build up a human resources department that would be able to execute against that policy. Those were the only two things I wanted to do. And then I was going to be out. And that was eight years ago or seven years ago. <laughs> Since then, I've won two elections recently, just this past year. So I've got uh, another four more years to serve. But uh, it's been one of the biggest blessings, though, of, of my life. Um, uh, that's a different world to live in for sure. Uh, but it's taught me a lot of things about, uh, myself, uh, and, 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 and basically being able to be true to yourself, doing the right thing, uh, as often or doing the right thing all of the time, even, uh, when some other choices are easier. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and tell us a little bit about your pastoring journey. I mean, I know you've, you've been a salesman for a while too, but like, uh, pastoring too, like what's that been like for you? Yeah. So it's been tough. It, I tell people all the time, Pat, I, listen, I've been in sales and corporate sales and sales leadership and managing, you know, $32 million budgets and then corporate sales, $124 million worth of business and all kinds of big contracts and whatever. I've managed regions from Michigan all the way down to South Carolina. And I tell people all the time, uh, pastoring's the hardest job I've ever done. Pastoring is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Uh, and you know, it's hard because it's lives and it's souls that are at stake. Yeah. And so the pressure uh, that I've felt over the years have been, has been immense uh, pressure to constantly try to do the absolute right and best thing for the people that I'm privileged enough to serve. And man, that's, it's just been really, really hard. Um, and it's been harder on a person like me because I am a people pleaser. <laughs> and so one of the things that I had to learn in leadership, especially in pastoring is that you can't say yes to everything. You know, you can't start every ministry that everyone wants to start. Uh, you know, you can't, you, 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 you can't just, uh, please people in that way. Um, because, uh, You've got to stick to the vision that God gave you and uh, allow the people around you and serving with you to serve in the right capacity, not just the capacity that they want to serve. Uh, I made some crucial errors in doing that and paid a price for doing that, not just myself, but the church did as well. And so uh, I learned a huge lesson through failure uh, to never do that again. And so uh, now I've got this other opportunity where we're kind of rebuilding and starting up in Scranton. And so uh, I'm thankful to be able to take those hard lessons learned and, and not make those same mistakes a second time. Mm. So, so with that lens, um, especially with, with those roles, you know, being a pastor, being a politician, um, how, how have you been processing everything over the last week and a half? What, what are some of the thoughts you're, you're thinking through? Yeah, so. The, I got to pop, I guess, One sec. Yep. Go for it. No problem. So I've, I honestly, Dan, have had a really hard time with this. Uh, I, I can't still a week. And a day or two later, I still can't get my emotions around it. Uh, I've not ever felt this way in my entire life. They're, 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 I, I can't get a grip on my emotions. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at the world. I'm mad at myself. Uh, I'm upset that we're still here. Uh, I'm upset at what I've had to endure. And then I'm mad that I, at myself for being upset at what I've had to endure because what I've had to endure pales in comparison to what so many black and brown people have to endure. As a pastor, I don't, I'm trying to find the right words. That's what we do, right? We find the right words. They can come to us. We're going to say the right thing. We're going to have an answer. I don't have it. I don't have it right now. That bothers me. Uh, as a community leader, what do I do? What don't I do? I, I just, I'm, I'm, I, I'm confused right now. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling in a way that I've never struggled uh, I've never struggled like this before in my, in my life. Mm. Um, I, I have these feelings that I felt for a long time that I've locked down. Uh, I actually, Dan, realized over the last week that there are some memories that I've repressed mm. uh, around experiences that I've had that, I, that just started like flooding my mind. Like, oh, remember this? Oh, remember that time? Remember this time? Just 
like for, like pushed them down so far that I, I didn't even know they existed until boom, here they come this week as I'm recollecting and trying to remember and recount. But uh, this has been very difficult, uh, super difficult. And um, I still don't know exactly what the right or wrong thing is to do. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say what the right or wrong thing is to do. I still don't know what the, what the right or writer thing is to do, you know, which is better, what do we do? Better and best. What's that? You're talking about like better and best? Yes. Yes. Because the wrong thing to do is nothing. Period. That's the wrong thing to do. Nothing. So now in my mind, I'm trying to figure out what is the right thing to do? What is even the writer thing to do? And what is our, what is our short-term goal in terms of getting some of this raw emotion out? And expressing uh, how we're feeling, uh, and you've seen that with all these protests that have been happening throughout the country, but in particular in our own backyard. And I thank God for those protests that they've uh, been peaceful. I thank God that kids are leading the way. Like honestly, two freshmen uh, put on the protest that went off yesterday in Wilkesbury, and from what I understand, it was it was the best one yet. Two freshman kids, two 14 or 15 year old kids. That's amazing to me. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm reeling just like everybody else, I think, is at this point in time. Long term, oh, past the protests and all of that, great for the awareness, but now what's the solution? You know, how are we, what, what, what policies, what laws need to be written to help ensure uh, the safety of every human being, but especially uh, 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 black lives because of the kind of abuse that we see has happened throughout the country. Um, but then again, Dan, laws don't change hearts. And I think this is really an issue and a matter of the heart. Uh, and so that's where as a pastor, I think I can make or we can make the biggest impact because that's where we work. You know, we work on the heart. Uh, you know, we can let the legislators work on the law, but, but we've got to work on the heart. And you and I know, you and I both know that, that the heart is effectively changed when it changes for Christ. Yep. And so, uh, you know, upon uh, what law, preacher man, is the greatest? Mm -hmm. uh, love the Lord your God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And I love that as yourself part. I've preached this over and over again because inherently we're selfish and we love ourselves so, so much. And God's like, that's cool. I'm going to allow you to do that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to love yourself that selfishly, but then take that love and love everyone else in the same way. And if we could ever, man, just one by one, heart by heart, get to that point, that's the long-term solution. Uh, that does something that laws could never do. Mm. Yeah. And I think that bridges into, you know, a much deeper conversation about how the gospel actually changes lives when it comes to this issue. Right. Cause it's one thing to say, like, I'm going to go from being, you know, whatever belief system, a non, I'm a non-Christian to now I'm a follower of Jesus. There's one thing to say that, but it's a whole nother thing to be like, okay, as a follower of Jesus, I need to live this way and it affects every area of life. It's not like we have all different boxes. We, it affects every area of life and especially with what we're faced with right now uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Now there, there has been so much more awareness and recognition of the evils of racism. And it's like, okay, so Sean, as uh, a follower of Jesus, number one, and then layering that with as a pastor, like how, how would you encourage people to either a, you know, why would someone become a Christian because they're drawn to what that means for this issue? And then for Christians who are already believers, already followers of Jesus, like, what's the way forward? Yeah, so things are so hostile right now and everyone is feeling, everyone is feeling however it is they're feeling and it's very so much across the board. I think what we can do as Christians, whether 
it's a longtime believer in Christ or someone who is trying to get to know him or someone who doesn't know him at all. The one thing I think that we can do as people of God is, first of all, show love and demonstrate love and don't preach a sermon, but live one, number one. And two, provide people with hope in Christ, the mm. hope that he provides. Uh, you know, I hear people, Dan, I hear from people all the time and young people young people from age like 23 to 25 dude who are hopeless right now mm. hopeless their anxiety levels are sky high they're nervous about their future and think that the life that they have lived in from age uh, uh from from age zero to 23 was the best part of their life and that from now on it all goes downhill you know we need to do a better job as pastors and preachers providing putting christ out in front and letting people see the hope that is in him uh, and we can do that by just demonstrating the love that is in him that is in us. I think it really is that simple right now to provide, show love, demonstrate love and provide hope, you know, show them that there is a better future and a better way to that future through him. And if we all one by one, Paul said, if I have all this stuff, but I don't have love, I don't have anything. And a lot of people, man, have a lot of stuff, but they don't have love. And so they don't have anything. And so when times like these happen and they struggle for substance, yeah, they don't know, they don't have, they don't have, it's, it's almost like they're looking for love, but in all the wrong places. And so I think that uh, we have a great opportunity to just share Christ and share uh, hope in Christ. And, and the one thing about this pandemic that, that I really, really am thankful for, if I could be thankful for anything through the pandemic, is that churches, church buildings have closed, but the church is wide open. And yep. it's, it's, it's so much more wide open than it's been in, in my lifetime. And it has reached out to so many more people and so many more people are listening. Because again, they were looking for hope and the church was that one place that on every Sunday at least, they could find it for an hour a day. Mm. Yeah, and I... I, it makes me think of the story in John 4 that um, wh where we see Jesus, I mean, throughout all the Gospels, we see Jesus in incredible ways and different ways throughout. But like this chapter, especially when he's interacting with a Samaritan woman, I mean, this was Jesus interacting with someone that the Jewish na nation was incredibly prejudiced against, right? Like he was crossing the soci sociological boundaries, so to speak. And he was demonstrating uh, what, what we all should do, right? Just genuine, real love across all of these, you know, we call them lines, but they really shouldn't be lines. They shouldn't be boundaries, but we've put them up between each other because of our sinfulness. And Jesus does that, right? And, he, and, and towards the end of their conversation, I mean, there's so much in this chapter going on, especially uh, back then and culturally, but the, the woman says, eventually she goes, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who's called Christ, the anointed one, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And I think that's what she's saying, just what you're saying, where people are looking for hope. She's basically looking at Jesus and she's going, oh, I know hope's coming. It's just not here yet. Like the answers are coming. It's not here yet. And his response is, I am the Messiah. Yeah. I am your hope. I am your answer. I am your way to God. Because they're, they're going back and forth about, you know, where to, where to worship and the place they should worship. Mm -hmm. and, blah, blah, blah. and I think so many people today, they're caught up in, okay, if God's out there, I just got to try to be a better person or I got to figure out all the hoops to jump through. And it's, it's not about that. The way to God is simple. It's, it's faith in Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. And he offers it freely. And that's what he does with this, this woman who – in, in his day and age, he shouldn't have been hanging out with at all. He shouldn't, you know, his culture was saying, we don't love those people. We don't love those people because we've put out, we've put up this boundary. And there's a lot of history with that, but man, Jesus blew right through that. And he said, I'm going to give you hope. And the hope is found nowhere else except myself. And we can offer that same hope to everyone else around us, even in the middle of a pandemic, even in the middle of uh, all this turmoil that our nation is facing. Yeah, no, you're at, you're absolutely right, and the world does need, you know, that kind of uh, light, especially in these times of darkness. 
But uh, I am super grateful for the expression of all of this emotion um, in the peaceful protest kind of way. Uh, I, I am glad that this has woken us up as a nation. Uh, you can no longer be ignorant uh, uh, of what uh, black people and other minorities, quite honestly, have been feeling uh, yeah. for decades and decades, and in the cases of African Americans, centuries and centuries. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, there's that saying, ignorance is bliss. Well, ignorance is only bliss to the ignorant, bro. It's the ignorance. Ignorance is not bliss to those that are unignorant, not ignorant. It's not bliss to those who are living this every single day. It is not ignorant to those who are afraid when the cop, dude, when a police officer pulls up behind me, I inherently become nervous and afraid. Not because that dude's a bad dude or that woman's a bad woman. I actually don't have any idea who they are. But it's just what has happened over and over again as a black person, dude, there's always something, at least in my experience, that triggers deep down within me, uh-oh. Yeah. I'll never forget, I was in, in the car with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. She gets pulled over for not having her headlights on. You know who they interrogated when they pulled us over? Me. Me. Then she starts crying because she can't handle the anxiety of the situation. Now he thinks I'm kidnapping her and forcing her to drive me somewhere against her will. All because a 17 year old girl forgot to turn her headlights on. Dumb stuff like that. That's something that I. I've never experienced, I mean, I've been pulled over before, but like when I get pulled over, I'm only scared because I think my wallet's going to get lighter. And as I saw someone else, as I saw someone else say, uh, th- there was a, a white man and a black man having a conversation and, and they posted on social media. And basically the white guy said, yeah, you know, I'm scared my wallet's going to get lighter. And the black guy's like, I'm, I'm scared. Cause I don't know if I'm going to go home tonight. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I've never experienced. No, you never and you never will. And I think what, you know, we all need to understand is this is people's reality. And listen, I mean, that happened to me one time a long time ago. And last year, I believe I was racially profiled by uh, another officer. I can't prove it, but I just, my feeling, I was getting onto the highway. He pulls me over and says, you know, you were driving erratically. I'm like, dude, I just got on the exit. But okay, you know, I, I don't know. But again, that's my, my perception at that point becomes my reality. And even that needs to be corrected, right? I mean, so we're all kind of feeling the ways that we're feeling for whatever those reasons are. And, and now we're bringing all those reasons to the table to at least discuss them and begin having some real, real hard conversations. And the thing about having these conversations is we're all going to screw them up. Mm-hmm. We're all going to screw them up in some way because the way I feel might not be the way the next black guy feels versus the black guy after that and the black guy after that. So if you're really black, you wouldn't say this, but if you're really black, then you wouldn't say that, you know, cause we all have had our different experiences. And then my white friends all come at me and ask me kinds of all kinds of questions. And I appreciate them coming to me and they're all asking me, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And right now I'm just like, you know what? Listen for number one and number two, uh, when I ask, so next, I'm going to ask you to do some things. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in some places. I'm going to ask you to be out front with me. And when I ask, you better say yes. Yeah. Because this is the time. This is the time. We, we're, we're not in the business now of, of lip service. I'm here for you. And then you're not there for me. You know, we have reached a different, a tipping point. Uh, you know, Mr. George Floyd, God rest his soul, is our version of Emmett Till. That image of him being murdered on, for me, it was on an Instagram post that I was watching. Mm. That image changed everything for everybody. Uh, and, and so I'm grateful. I'm grateful we're having a conversation. But listen, man, I mean, I got to, we've got, listen, I'm thankful for the, the length that we have traveled. I'm thankful for the little things that have changed. I'm thankful I could use the same restroom as you. I'm thankful that I could drink 
out of the same water fountain as you. Mm. I'm thankful that my kids could go to the same high school as your kids will go to. But in other ways, dude, we've got a really, really long way to go systemically. Right. On the surface, cool. Underneath it all, it's not cool. Yeah, it's and that underneath it all that we've got to work on. I've been seeing those images of the, the iceberg. I don't know if you've seen those on social media, but it's like, you know, the 10% of the iceberg is what everyone, oh, right. is what everyone thinks racism is, right? It's like neo-Nazi and, you know, all that. And then the 90% of racism is beneath the surface. Underneath it. Yeah. And, Dude, I, I think I told you the other day, I think, Dan, I told you the other day, and I've said this for decades, I would rather you wear a T-shirt that says, I hate niggers on it. I'm that kind of racism I've learned to deal with. I've learned to deal with it. At least I know where you stand. But it's the kind of racism that happens at the top levels of a corporation or at the top levels of government. It's the kind of racism that racism that impacts my future and the future of an entire people. That's the kind of racism that we need to work on. You understand what I'm saying? You see the difference? Yeah. You see the difference? There's just a difference there. Right. So on, on that, right. So like, what are some of the things that we can do? I know for me, what I've been hearing and I've been doing a lot of listening is a work on, on myself internally, right? Like look internally and do some deep reflecting and, and not try to do things externally uh, just for show, but to look inside my own heart and my own, you know, who I am and really try to do a deep dive of like, where do I have uh, discriminatory or prejudiced or racist attitudes and things that I may not even know myself yet, but try to like discover if I have that and repent of that and in turn of that. But then moving out from that, if we are able to be reflective and then move out from it into more action. I mean, I know Mike, um, our, our mutual friend, Pastor Mike, he texted, uh, well, he and Harlan have a, like an advocacy sit in a week from Saturday. Right. Mm -hmm. I told him it's on my calendar. I'm there. Like mm -hmm. I'm there, I'm there to help and just be, be there. Like whatever, whatever you need. Um, what, what are some other things like that, that you think would be really good steps? I think first of all, I mean, practically, cause like I said, it's a matter of the heart, right? So practically, the first thing you need to be willing to do is open up your heart. And I don't want anyone, anyone, black or white, to feel sorry for me or any other black person or our community. Uh, I want you to, though, seek to understand. Like, just understand, right, how we feel and then why we feel it. I think to me that's the first step is to is to is to not even and forgive me when I say this. This word, but don't even be selfish and look at yourself first. Look at us first, and get it, get it, like really get it. Empathize, get it, and then go whoa. So if my son asks me one day, Landon goes to the movies and says, hey, dad, can I walk home from the movies? You won't ever have a thought that someone in authority might do him harm, ever. You have to understand that I have that thought. You have to understand that when, when my son, who has a big old afro, right, and puts a hoodie on, you've got to understand that that concerns me. Then you can look within and see what you can do. But the first thing I'd love for everyone to do is just get an understanding first. Really listen. And that's why I jumped on this call with you because you wanted to talk. Yeah. And to me, Dan, that is step number one. Hear us, understand us, empathize with us, 
and then say, dude, my friend should never have to feel that way. My friend should never have to feel that way. And so what am I going to do to make sure at least in the corner of my world that I live in, I'm not going to do anything to add to, 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 I'm going to do everything in my power that my friend won't have to feel that way, at least not because of something that I have done, thought, or said. Yeah. That's what I would like people to do. Just get it. And then don't tell me how to feel because that's another thing that's happening. Oh, you, you know, yeah, but you shouldn't feel this way or yeah, but we're not really saying that. No, no, you, you don't get to tell me how to feel right now. I'm telling you how I feel. You don't get to tell me how to feel or what to do. You get to be like, I have no idea what I would do in his shoes. You know, one of the things I, I do, Dan, when I go to preach, say like, uh, like when I used to preach at the Salvation Army, and I used to preach to a, a, a room full of addicted people trying to make it way, their way back home, right? Mm. The first thing I would say to them before I began preaching was, I have zero idea of what it is like to be you. None. So what I want to do is talk to you, but not above you. I want to talk with you. And that's what we need. You know, more of this talking with instead of at and uh, talking with. And so that you, uh, people like you, Dan, who are really eager to make a change could first learn uh, what it, how we feel, what we're going through, what our experience has told us throughout the years. Like, you know, you're, have you ever been in a work meeting where someone through started calling, saying the, the N-word to you? No, because it's happened to me several times. And then now I got to deal with this, Dan. Not only do I have to hear that word, now I got to think about how do I respond to this? So, so do I respond by yelling and, and acting out on this anger? Or do I put my tail between my legs and just leave the situation because that's the professional thing to do? Or if I do that, am I not black enough? Oh my God, what if I don't stand up for my blackness? Then, then, what's, then is there something else wrong with me? Do you understand? Like it's layers to this, man. There's layers to this feeling. And that's why people protest. That's why people are doing what they're doing because they've been feeling like I've been feeling. And again, I will say this again. And how I feel and what I've gone through pales in comparison, dude. So if I'm feeling this way for the, for, the, for, the, for the ways that I've had to experience racism, I can't even imagine how others feel who have to feel it on a much deeper level than I ever have. Yeah. Or, or when you're going to close a business deal and you bring this, the, the, the lease agreement to sign a lease agreement, you walk in the building and they see that you're black and they tell you no. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. No, no. We can't sign this with you. And when that happens, when you're age 22 and 23 and 24, that teaches you something about moving forward. Dude, this is, there's a lot to this. And, and if you really want to know, then I need to share those stories with you. I need to share those stories with you because that's real life. And that happened like on a Tuesday at three o'clock, just living my life. That didn't happen carrying a picket sign, you know, marching around public square. That just happened in my daily life. Those are things that happen that I've got to worry about happening in my daily life, but you never will. So you, you can't, you, you'll, you'll, you'll never ever experience it. But dude, if you really want to know, I got to tell you these real stories so you can hear it, understand and go, Man, I don't, I don't want my friend to feel that way. Mm -hmm. So let me, let me uh, come at you with this, because this is very real for, for me in my world. This paralysis that a lot of us as white people feel is because of so much, uh, as we're listening, there's so many different people telling us to do so many different things. Meaning, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, some people are like, you're white, so shut up. Just listen. So we're like, all right, well, we're listening. And then other people are like, why are you not doing it? Because before you said the only wrong thing to do here is nothing. So like Correct. you're probably on the side of speak up, say this is wrong. So it's like, okay, we're, you know, this is wrong. And then we say it the wrong way. And it's like, no, you white people don't understand. Shut up. It's like, okay, do I speak up? Do I shut up? And then there's that whole thing of, okay, um, the, the, I've seen this a lot in a lot of stuff going in the last week and a half 
don't ask your black friends to help you understand. But then you're telling me here, you have to ask me and I have to share stories with you for you to get it. So it's like, don't go ask your black friends. You do the work you study. I've heard a ton of that. Then over here, I hear, we need to tell, you know, we, you, you've got to empathize. So we've got to talk and we got to, you know, share the stories and stuff. So I think that's something that we, and when I say we, I mean, I was obviously stereotyping for, for white people, but it's like the, the care and the concern is there, right? Like we, we want to get, I hear you, bro. And I'd be frustrated if I was you who's sincere in wanting to learn and help. And so my response to that would be, do what you feel in your heart to do. Do whatever it is you feel God has led you to do. If that's to post on Facebook, then I lost your audio there for a second. Oh, I just said, I just said, this is how I feel. The next black guy could feel completely different. And the black guy after that might feel completely different. The bottom line is, I'm trying to give you my point of view and perspective and what I think you can do first, which is listen and really understand and research and all that, learn about redlining, you know, learn about the 13th, yeah, learn about all that. But I'm trying to share with you a story that you, your heart would be touched by and go, I don't want my friend going through that. Yes. I just don't want my friend to go through that. Yes. And I'm sorry that he did go through that. And then you look at that small, isolated incident that is Sean Walker's life, and you multiply that by, I don't know, millions yeah and then you multiply that by the infinity which is death by police brutality right and and that's right. what and that's what Errol and i were talking about too like to, to do a numbness check i think is what we called it and and go okay when i see ahmaud arbery and what happened to him and if i can't try to be on the other side of me you know on the other side of that and be in his shoes and be like, man, how on, how did that feel to be, you know, hunted like that or to be in, um, in George Floyd's shoes, right. To be under pinned under three men who are literally suffocating him to death. Right. And like, and then his family, their families, you know, the, the grief and the loss. And then, you know, yeah, like you're saying, expand it out. If we can't feel that something's wrong. Yeah, and I remember Craig Gosell preaching a sermon, not about this or even police brutality, but he preached a sermon about scrolling through the news feed. And we get so much negative news anymore, so much of it, so much negative news anymore of any kind, that when we see it, we just roll right past it because, well, all right, you know, okay, another thing, another thing. But for some reason, this thing is the thing that has ignited everyone's emotion. And I'm glad for it. And I'm glad for conversations like this, however right or wrong people might think that it is. Uh, <laughs> you need to do whatever it is you is in your heart, dude. You, you're, you're trying to listen and learn, learn about the history, do whatever it is that's in your heart. But once, so the second step, because you asked me that question. So the first step is to listen and, and, and learn and empathize. And then the second step is to take that action, whatever that action means for you. Because again, I, I had a conversation with someone earlier today and I said, you have asked me, what could I do? And I'm telling you, I'm going to ask you in about a week and a half to do something with me and you better say yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where I think the speaking up part is important where I, to, uh, I was watching two pastors, Stephen Furtick and John Gray, they were talking together and, um, John Gray was like, you know, if I, he, as a black man and a black pastor, if I did what those men did to, if I did that to a dog, I, right. I should never preach again. 
I have no business, you know, are, are you even a Christian, right? Like all this stuff and people would be posting about it and going nuts. And then something like this happens. And thankfully for George Floyd, I've noticed way more white people are screaming, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, which is a good thing that they're doing that. But it's like, there's been 400 years of this going on and we just have not talked about it like we should we have not because if we if we actually feel it and we actually see it clearly which social media is allowing now i mean it's what will smith says right racism isn't getting worse it's just getting filmed filmed. so if it's right in front of us then we're face to face with it and we're going we have to do something about this because as christians we speak up about all kinds of things that we feel are wrong in culture right all these other evils and we speak up about them a lot but for some reason racism just does not get the bandwidth and it's that's got to change in the the yeah yeah Yeah, man and it and it you know yeah i don't i don't know i mean like you said i i hope it changes uh even if it's one heart at a time and that means we got a long way to go but uh i don't know i I just have always been a believer that uh, a turnaround is possible. And my favorite thing I always say about turnarounds is they begin with one step Mm. and they continue one step at a time. And so if we could just continue to take the steps, uh, will we eradicate it? Probably never. Mm. Uh, But could we mitigate its damage? Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Well, dude, in terms of next steps, I, this is incredibly helpful for me just personally, but I think getting this recorded, getting this out to people to hear like a real honest down to earth conversation. Um, I think that can be helpful. Um, I'm glad that Mike and Harlan are letting us into next steps that they are leading and we want to be there to help and just support, uh, however we can, even if it's just by presence, you know, well, matter of fact, in about four minutes, I'm jumping on a call with Harlan. <laughs> oh, great. To talk, about, to talk about those next steps. So, great. Yeah, man. Uh, of course, I appreciate, you know, your willingness. And uh, we'll keep you posted, dude. And I look forward to seeing you out there. Yeah, man. Well, let me let me finish off with this scripture just to kind of uh, bookend this. So, and I know you got to go. Uh, Romans 12, 9 to 18 says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. And that's exactly what we've been talking about. Amen. Because uh, it's not about saying and, and just, just putting stuff on social media. Uh, we got to actually build bridges and build relationships that are real. So don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So, Sean, I want to honor you tonight and just say you have been an incredible friend for eight years. And like you said, I hope we get 18, 80. Let's get 80 more in, dude. <laughs> I don't have 80 in me, bro. You might have 80 in you. But, uh, yeah, I'll settle for like maybe 45. I'll be good. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, tell Harlan I said hi. I love we'll you. And we'll, we'll, keep, uh, we'll keep learning and growing together, all right? All right, man. Peace. Yeah.